creeps into many headlines. Its emails update us with our personal results, though many of us ignore them because we can't face the detail, until a certain age, that is, when we pay, pay close attention. And now maybe further changes are in store for it. Superannuation's what I'm talking about. Since compulsory super was introduced by the Hawke-Keating duo back in 1992, there have been several significant changes. Now there's increasing talk of more to come, though quite when and what isn't completely clear. Maybe a genuine effort to precisely define what this whole system is for. It's become phenomenally successful, but what exactly is its purpose? The answer's not entirely clear, and there's many millions resting on that answer. I'll check with Jeremy Cooper, who's never far from these dilemmas. He conducted the big 2010 review for the Gillard government, and he's been working for the Challenger Financial Group, specialising in the provision of annuities, a sort of privately funded uh, pension system. Jeremy Cooper, welcome back to Saturday Extra. Good to be here. Geraldine, always good to talk about super. Yes, I agree. (laughs) Even if others think, what? Um, You and I find it fascinating. What are the Tom Toms saying about possible changes to our super system? Well, uh, the, the drums seem to be constantly beating with super. Um, there are just so many ideas about change and that's part of the problem. So really getting back to basics is what this idea of having a purpose of super is, is about, to uh, dampen down the noise and really focus on, uh, I guess, simplifying it down to a fairly sort of uh, sparse economic concept um, that super's really a a consumption smoothing mechanism. Now, at this time of the morning, people might be wondering, what on earth is this fellow talking about? And basically, you are spending a little bit less during your working years by, by money being taken out of your wages and put into this thing called superannuation. But the idea of then being able to spend, now that spend word is, is somewhat mm-hmm. lost in all the noise, spend some of that money that you've, you've put away, which is compounded by interest and investment returns over the period and then that makes um, your um, lifestyle in retirement better than it would have been if that mechanism hadn't been there. That's the basic idea. The problem is it's become too politically contested because you talked about millions but in fact there's about three and a half trillion dollars sitting in our system which is probably the most successful retirement income system in the world. It's not perfect but it's become very politically contested and it has what I call barnacles all over it. In other words, there's franking credits, there are downsizer concessions, there are small business concessions and on it goes. And most of it's about tax. It's not about retirement savings. It's, it's basically about what can I get out of this system. It's a little bit like housing. It's all about um, negative gearing and capital gains tax exemptions and exemptions from the age pension. And so housing becomes financialized. It's a bit of a funny word, but I think mm. that's happened to superannuation. We've, we've basically forgotten this basic, simple consumption smoothing that it's not about building wealth and passing it on to the next generation. It's actually about having a better retirement than just the age pension could give you. Well, I mean, the David Murray, who did another review, um, said that taxpayer support of super should help, quotes, provide income in retirement to substitute or supplement the age pension. That was, that was his sort of clarifying definition. No, you can't disagree with that. But it's too anodyne. In other words, you might go, well, of course it is. You know, of course it's about that. The trouble is, if you only had a purpose that that consisted of that, what you're not doing is you're not ruling out, I'm getting too many negatives here, but you're not ruling out what it's not for. 
But it's not for early access for housing. It's not for passing on to the next generation. So you need to go further than just this very simple uh, statement, which is basically just plainly obvious. Of course, that's what about what it's for. But then there are all these other subsidiary things that tend to, uh, uh, they tend to be the tail wagging the dog. I suppose what I'm getting at is if, if it's correct uh, that, um, well, the, the implication was you take the load off the aged pension provision so that, that it, then there's something in it for all taxpayers because the consolidated revenue isn't bearing that load. Is it doing that? Well, you see, it depends on where you set the level of the aged pension. Now, various, various governments have decided to be more generous than, than with the age pension than they would otherwise be. So the age pension is not some sort of static thing. As uh, living standards improve and as we all get better off, which we are phenomenally well off in this country, it seems appropriate to keep being aspirational about the age pension. Otherwise, you'd leave the, uh, those not working and reliant on the age pen- pension, you leave them behind the rest of the community. And I don't think there are too many people who want that. So the age pension is not some sort of static target. In fact, if you look at the way the age pension has grown, it's quite dramatic, which I think is appropriate in a, in a wealthy country. So it's got, to be, it's got to be about more than that. And um, I think we need to include things like the, the benefits of uh, having a pool of national savings that is not owned by the government. It's basically owned by us, the people of Australia, and administered by a system that's doing that on our behalf. That's actually an important purpose. And uh, the reason I say that is that we're now in a position not unlike Switzerland, where we own more shares in the rest of the world than they own in us. And what that means is that we uh, now have something that, uh, because of super, basically all the investing that super does around the rest of the world Mm. has built up a a pile of money that's really quite significant in terms of our uh, GDP. The most recent figures I um, have got is that that figure of what we own being more than what people own in us, the rest of the world owns in us, is something like $200 billion or more, um, which is a pretty decent chunk of our, our GDP and also the, the amount of dividends that we get in foreign currencies like euros and US dollars and so, so on coming into Australia for the first time in our history uh, that just makes us gives us a buffer, if you like, against all of the economic turbulence and uncertainty that's uh, that's going on in the world at the moment. So, in fact, this is what Chris Richardson, the economic commentator, wrote a very interesting piece the other day reminding us that um, Treasury uh, was very much in favour of the Kelty-Keating original plans for consult- compulsory super because, even though it had tap- tax implications, it encouraged forced savings, yes. which we were pretty poor at, yes. and that this was a really quite historic development. Now, I, I think that's been lost a bit in this. It has, with all of the franking credits and all the chatter. Uh, what was put on the table in... in, in that was in 1987, and then it finally came in 92, didn't it? Correct. Mm. And in 93, um, Vince Fitzgerald wrote the Fitzgerald Report, which was entitled... Uh, national saving something or other. It's um, a very important document and that's exactly what, what it was saying, that it was beneficial for a, company, a country like ours that it had an almost perpetual current account deficit. I don't want to get too technical, but basically drawing capital from, from the rest of the world and that a, that a pool of national savings was in itself nothing really to do with with retirement, but just in terms of our national accounts, was a good that we should pursue. And we've actually delivered that. Well, it makes you much less brittle as as a nation. Exactly. Is that the idea? Yes. It's it's like a... Think of super as a a sovereign wealth fund, a very large one, 
that isn't owned or controlled by the government, but by the by the citizens. Now, I mean, I was going to ask this later, but I'll ask it now. Therefore, these this talk as well in this great debate that is on quietly at the moment uh, about super possibly being um, put into things of national development, like infrastructure or like, say, the provision of housing. How do you react to that? Cautiously. I'm, I'm open-minded. I'd like to hear more about exactly what we mean by that. There are some fairly unhappy examples in other countries where well-meaning politicians have sought to get their hands on the large slabs of... It's happening in the UK at the moment. The politicians there are talking madly about the pension system, investing in infrastructure and so on. Uh, to solve, Chris Bowen once said that there are very few policy problems for which the superannuation industry hasn't been put forward as the solution. So you've got, you've got to be cautious. But um, I'm interested in hearing... Uh, there can be win-wins um, with, with these sorts of things that we could mm. do something that was beneficial to the super system and also to the nation. But I, um, I'm, I'm just a little bit cautious. I probably haven't heard enough or maybe not been listening enough to exactly what's meant by that. But okay, go back then to what might come because I noticed, for instance, uh, John Kehoe writing in the uh, Financial Review the other day, these are the sort of headlines that are around, um, that uh, why super tax breaks for retirees can't go online like this, or there was another. With tax concessions totaling more than $40 billion last year, which areas are likely to be targeted? So th- there is a, a growing view from what I've read, even within the industry, that these generous concessions cannot last. Do you agree with that? Broadly, yes, I think that's right. And it's not about the budget for me. It's about basically equity <clears throat> and fairness. So just consider um, somebody... <laughs> Let's just assume that I'm nearing retirement. I could go into retirement soon and I could be earning, let's just say, several hundred thousand dollars a year, a year upon which I would pay absolutely no tax and even even better than that for me personally but not, not so much for society. I would actually probably receive franking credit rebates as well, uh, possibly in the, the tens of thousands of dollars. Let's, think, let's just think I've got two kids who are 30-somethings they're carrying hex debts. They're trying to buy a house in Sydney at the moment. They're on relatively modest incomes, upon which they're paying more tax than I would be. Yeah. Who could possibly? I'd, I'd be interested in who could who could explain to me why that's a, an equitable setting. It's just, it's embarrassing. I sort of choke having just said that. It's just how unequal and illogical um, and frankly dangerous. I mean, when you set up. Um, parts of a, a society in different age groups and on different income bands that's just so uh, unequal, um, it, it's just not good policy. Now, of course, that's easy for me to say. I'm not a politician. Going out there and actually rendering that change. I mean, once you've given, particularly retirees, once you've given somebody a state of affairs, winding it back, it's very difficult. But that's not to say that we shouldn't be having the conversations. People have picked a figure of $5 million. If you've got $5 million in super, the excess above that should be treated as, as effectively being in the ordinary economy, not, not being in super, and should be taxed appropriately. Again, I'd be interested in hearing arguments as to why that wouldn't be good policy, other than um, it's currently what the law says, and so people are entitled to do that. But is it actually a good policy setting? And my belief is it's not. What are the various options as you see them? Well, I what think... What would you choose? <laughs> well, one of the... Well, some time ago when I was thinking about um, 
I did another smaller job for the Labor government in 2013 on, on topics related to the purpose of super. And I came up with the, it's a bit of a slogan really, but that no change to superannuation should be urgent. In other words, there should really never be a budget night surprise change to a what's effectively, in some cases, a 70-year saving and spending system, which is what superannuation is. You, you might spend 40 years in, in, in work and then 30-odd years in retirement spending that money down. That is a very, very long-term bargain that you're making um, with, the, uh, with the government, effectively. And so um, if you were to change the settings for uh, retirement, there'd need to be a long conversation about it and lots of warning uh, for people mm. as to what, to what to expect if they were nearing retirement, time to rearrange their affairs possibly while they're in retirement. So I'm totally sympathetic to that. Which is what might be exactly happening right now. Correct. And so solving the purpose of super would perhaps prevent snap changes like, I mean, let's, let's, be, let's be, you know, frank about this. The reason why we have a tax-free retirement is the election, you know, the, the coalition government preparing for the 2007 election and the Treasurer, the then Treasurer announcing that there were some big, big changes to super coming and that the, the retirement phase would be tax-free. And even then, I think people were scratching their heads and doubting whether that setting was ultimately going to be sustainable. Mm. Um, the Treasurer, Assistant Treasurer Stephen Jones says the government hasn't made its mind up yet. Um, you think that that is, a, by the sound of it, last question, that's a wise... That's a wise move, I It think. is. It is. And, it, you know, it might be something, and I'm not telling Stephen Jones how to do his job, but it might be something that uh, there's a conversation that goes into the, the, the next term of Parliament. I mean, these things shouldn't be rushed, but it is certainly a conversation and there are related conversation, conversations around tax and... Especially and with super. 32 super funds said to have $100 billion each in them. $100 million, pardon me, each in them. There's certainly a lot of money out there. <laughs> it's extraordinary, isn't it? Jeremy Cooper, lovely to have have you back. Thank you very much indeed. Pleasure. Jeremy Cooper, a superannuation specialist. And um, yes, I think that is a debate we'll be revisiting for quite a while. I do hope you can join us again after the news at eight. We're discussing the JFK assassination. 60 years on. News time now. Think bigger about the world we live in. Ask your smart speaker to play ABC RN.